Oh, okay. You just do it some levels there. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. All righty. Yeah, and so I'm not super familiar with, like, who your target demo and who's your Alaskans. listening folks. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, we're working on that. Right? Matt is a, um, uh, he does, he covers politics, state politics for um, the Fairbanks Daily News Miner. Right, right, right. And uh, I have done, I'm kind of just, uh, like, political adjacent, I guess. So, right. Um, so I'd say our audience is people who are interested in uh, policy uh, the future of Alaska and the identity of Alaska. Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And you are listening to a podcast about Alaska. Uh, on today's episode, I sit down with Jacqueline Tupo, who is one of three members of the Electoral College from Alaska. She's a Republican and uh, I'm excited uh, to share this interview with you, Matt, because you haven't you haven't heard it yet. I'm super excited. You know, this is uh, there's a lot of attention this year on the, who the Electoral College is, you know, and how they vote and who they're going to vote for. Um, you know, most years it's not really an issue, but this year, you know, we have, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton won the um, the popular vote, but because of the way our constitution is set up. The Electoral College uh, went a different way, and so they're going to be casting their votes on Monday. And there's a whole lot of attention on how they're going to vote because, um, you know, as you might know or may not know, uh, a lot of these people aren't necessarily bound to how the vote went. So they could vote kind of however they wanted to, and that's sort of by design. So I'm interested. I'm really, I haven't heard this interview yet, so I'm really interested in hearing um, straight from one of our electoral college members. All right. Well, I'm just going to jump right into this interview here, and uh, you and I can talk about it when when it's over. Um, so my name is Jacqueline Tupo, and I grew up in Alaska, born and raised in Fairbanks, uh, left and went to school and traveled a lot and went on a mission and did a lot of fun things. I ended up back in Alaska in Juneau, marrying my handsome husband of 15 years, and we have uh, four beautiful children. Great. Cool. And so the, the reason I invited you here today to talk is because you are one of three Alaskans who is a member of the Electoral College. That's correct. And so can you tell me what that means and how that came to be? Right. So um, it's pretty exciting. It's a fun thing to do. Um, at our convention every year, we're able to pick people that go to um, the convention that we have. So you can be a delegate to national convention. You can also um, ask to be a member of the Electoral College. This is actually my second time. I was the alternate last time. So last time I sat on the little kid's chair on the side of the stage. But this time I'll be able to sit in one of the big kid chairs. So what does that look like? Do you go somewhere to do this? Does that happen in D.C. or does it happen in Alaska? Right. So it'll be here in Juneau. Um, for anyone that's interested in going, um, feel free to come out. Um, I am going to butcher the name of the place because I forget it, but it's at the the new State Museum Library that oh, yeah. we are calling the by Andrew three people. The Andrew Yes. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Thank you for that. I appreciate you helping out there. Yeah. So they'll be some doing some tours in the morning if people are interested in coming to see that place. The actual uh, ceremony, quote unquote, starts at 11 a.m. It's pretty brief. We'll have the color guard um, shown and I think the Juno Youth Choir will be singing and then we'll cast our votes and the lieutenant governor will put the official stamp of approval on those and we send them off. Wow. And so does that all happen pretty fast or is that? It does. I, like I said, I was there last time. I actually thought I was going to participate last time because one of our members was that it was a foggy day in Juneau. You know how that goes. Uh -huh. So we weren't aware if she was going to be able to land or not. So it was I was still sitting on the side of the stage. So but uh, I was I was ready. I was saying put me in coach. Cool. <laughs> so the way it works, the, the way I understand it works is that every political party picks the, their electors and then if their candidate wins, then those people become the electors for the state. Is that right? Right. For, yeah. So pretty much when you're voting for president, you're actually voting who your electors are going to be. So there's a slate of electors for each political party. And whoever ends up winning the presidential vote for that state, you're actually picking those people to be your electors to make those decisions. So this year is particularly interesting because um, there's a lot of pressure on electors. Definitely, uh, definitely. Have you had any phone calls? Yeah, or like I've had lots of things. I've had um, 
I've probably had at least 600 contacts from people. Wow. So my mailbox literally broke between all the letters in it and the heavy snow that we've had here in Juneau. Um, also on Facebook, people contact me. I've had a couple hundred messages there. And um, I've also been contacted on my personal email. But for so me... Your, your physical mailbox broke. Broke. Like it it felt... physically broke. You can drive by my house and see it. It's a sad situation. That's incredible. <laughs> so yeah, but I'm hoping, uh, you know, for me, I think that's one of my responsibilities though is to listen to what people have to say and it's something that I've taken really seriously I homeschool my younger boys and we've actually uh, made a map of where is all the places that we've received letters from and I've tried to it's literally I think over a hundred hours I've spent reading those letters because I really feel like that's part of my responsibility is to hear people and hear what they have to say and people legitimately have fears and concerns and so I try to take those into account what are you hearing from people um, of all the letters and correspondence that I've received, nobody has sent me anything to say, please vote for Mr. Trump. <laughs> wow. So all of the things that I've received are people that, like I said, have legitimate fears, legitimate concerns about a President Trump and asking me, you know, lots of different alternatives. Can you vote for Hillary? Can you vote for um Mitt Romney, can you vote for John Kasich? I've got some for John Huntsman. Like, uh, maybe I'll throw your name in there. But anyways, and and so it's pretty interesting. You know, people have concerns. And I actually, um, another thing that I do here in town, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I represent them on the Interfaith Council here in Juneau. So um, surprisingly enough, or I guess apropos, our meeting today, um, Hava Lee, who's the president of the Jewish um, church here in town, came to discuss the fears and concerns that her congregation is having. Um, and I, like I said, I think those are really legitimate concerns, you know, talking about a Muslim registry. You know, when we start writing down people's names on lists based on what religion they are, um, talk of, you know, tying constitutional rights to your religion. That's literally the steps that, you know, preceded the Holocaust. And so those are things that she's had members of her congregation in tears, concerned about, you know, is our name going to be on lists? Are things going to be like this before, like, you know, how they were before? So people legitimately have concerns. And so I try to really listen to people's concerns. And you mentioned that your family has a lot of, uh, like, Tongans in it. Is is that an immigrant family? Yeah. So my husband, um, he is a citizen. Um, he came over from his country when he was 19 to come play sports over here and have a good time in America. And so, like in my family, I, my sister-in-law is from Haiti. Um, she's a first-generation American as well. Um, we have Korean people in my family, uh, Pratoviches in our family. And we have pretty much, you can find the United Nations in my home. <laughs> Can you talk about their contributions and their experience? Definitely. You know, my, especially my in-laws, you know, they came to Juno uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, didn't speak English very well and didn't have any people here from their country. They were just pioneers. And I, I really appreciate their sacrifice because obviously they were well-respected people back home in their village in the kingdom of Tonga and had a great time there. But they came here to a place where they would be isolated because of the opportunities for their children. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just a beautiful thing that they sacrifice so much of their lives to be able to come and give their children a chance to have a better life here. So how do all of these letters in your family experience and even your religious experience, how does that inform what you are going to do as an elector? Well, and that's a great question. Like, I I ponder it, (laughs) obviously. That's really something that I've taken seriously. And, you know, some people ask me, are you open to voting for someone not who the Alaskan people voted for? You know, how do you see yourself in the role of the Electoral College? I do think the Electoral College was envisioned. If you read Hamilton's writings, uh, it's almost like he prophesied a Trump, right? You can sort of read his writings and see that he's telling us there could be someone that comes that's a charismatic man of the people and captures them and but maybe doesn't have the experience and integrity to be the president and so you know some people think the electoral college is passe but i don't in any way think that or that it's somehow a fluke that there's people winning the popular vote that didn't win the electoral college that was all very well thought out and by design and they specifically talk about the role of the electoral college could be a stopgap in those kind of situations and so I I take that very seriously. I have a lot of concerns myself. Like there's things that concern me. I think, um, you know, one of the main things I'm really concerned about freedom of press. 
I think that that's very concerning. I have friends that covered the presidential election that are reporters, and they have friends that did not cover uh, Mr. Trump in positive ways, and their press credentials were pulled. And so, you know, but de facto, then they've lost their jobs. And so that's very scary. Yeah, the only one that gets to keep their job is the person that is, like, sucking up and doing positive stories. Right, well, and so that's very scary if, you know, I mean, political science 101, if you can't speak critically of, quote-unquote, dear leader, that's when you should be concerned. And, you know, his sit-down, I think, that he had with the the New York Times and with other press agencies – it scares me that people are going to be concerned that they won't have press credentials and access to the presidential briefings, you know. And um, ironically enough, I, I've been, you know, pondering this, and but there was actually some good counsel, I thought, from um, Denzel Washington, of all people. <laughs> but I was reading, I was watching a video that he did the other day, and he was just talking about how, you know, there's this need to always be first in the media, right? You want to be the person that breaks the story. And it's always been that way. But but that somehow that people are now sacrificing finding the truth and really digging deep to be the first to report the story. And that it, it's still on, on the media to be able to do that. And I, I do have concerns that the media will not feel as free to speak critically about a President Trump. You know, he's very good. People can say what they want about him, but I think he's a very intelligent man when it comes to um, manipulating the media. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, he's a PR genius. Like, let's just be real. I mean, he is very good at those kind of things. He's not good at being consistent. He's not good at uh, always having integrity. There's lots of things that you could criticize him for, but he definitely has PR skills and finesse. Yeah. Today was an interesting example. He was um, supposed to talk about how he's going to dissociate from his business interests, and instead he marched Conway, uh, Kanye West through the... Uh, uh, lobby of his hotel and that became the news cycle right it is yeah. and and you know it's those kind of things i you know the magician right the sleight of hand and the mm-hmm. you know turning of the story i think that he's very gifted and skilled in those things and those are skills that you know in the media that you have to feel a sense of responsibility because those are skills that you can use to mislead other people or to lead people to a higher and better truth and so i think that he has to find within himself that sense of personal responsibility where he's a leader of a country before he's a businessman looking out for the the Trump brand or the Trump name. I mean, he has to. And, you know, soliciting funds from the King of Jordan to build a hotel in D.C., it's very unsavory, unpalatable. And actually, you know, they've sent him cease and desist letters to stop doing those activities. But it's it's concerning. And, and like I said, I'm as concerned as anyone, you know, and today when we were in that group speaking at Interfaith Council, I could, I could see Miss Lee looking at me like, oh, you know, are we on the same page here? And, you know, I said, please, you know, speak freely. Like, I have the same concerns as you. And, you know, if anything, I think being a member of the Mormon Church, we've actually been killed here in America. Until 1968, it was legal in Missouri to kill a Mormon person without repercussions. Yeah, <laughs> so, I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about religious p- persecution. Um, because... I think that's very scary stuff. And, you know, um, Trump's always had a Mormon problem. You know, the Washington Post has covered that. The New York mm-hmm. Times has covered that. He did less than 14% in the Utah primary, the worst of any of the 50 states. Yeah. So we obviously have more moderate views on immigration than a lot of the things that he's been saying. And Obviously, concerns about religious freedom are in the forefront of our minds because we're only a generation removed from people literally slaughtering our people. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, how does being um, I know what I what I know of you is what I was able to Google. And I've read just basically a bunch of um, newspaper articles that you wrote that are kind of on faith and family. Um, and I thought they were really they were really great. Um, Thanks. And, you always wonder if anyone reads your column, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Have but, you read my column? Yeah. Thanks. I've, I've probably read all of them now. Great. But the, but the um the thing that like the thing that I've observed in my life is that um, Mormons are the the people of the Mormon religion really walk the walk. They um, more than a lot of people that I've run into, like they really live up to the standard that they set for themselves. And the, like some of the things that you wrote about. Um, you wrote about your, your coming into the church, like not really like being raised in the church and then finding that. But then um, like you wrote something that um, you, you wrote something that included a, a quote from a church leader that said, may we maintain the courage to defy consensus. May we ever choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. Um, and and I th- 
I just was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. That was a quote from uh, President Thomas S. Monson, who's the current prophet and president of the church. And I think that that is something that is important. And I think increasingly we are seeing that. Increasingly we are seeing where we are put in places where we have to make choices. Because there's a lot of things that maybe are no longer illegal, but they're definitely immoral. And I think there's a lot of things with the Trump presidency, particularly, that brings up that line. Like, is this illegal? Maybe not. But is it pretty unseemly? You know, like, particularly, you know, it was interesting that he was talking to, um, I believe, the president of Brazil, where they're currently building a property. And he put his daughter, Ivanka, who's in charge of that, pro- of that project, on the phone. Is that illegal? No. Is it unseemly and maybe morally gray area? Like, of course it is. And so, you know, I think that that's why I said I think freedom of press is so important because I think that if someone's not going to hold themselves accountable, then we need to do so. Do you feel like your views are representative of other electors or do, or do, you, do you communicate with other people in the electoral college? Like, how does that world right, work? Are right. you guys part and, of a club? Yeah, like, it's funny, you know, it's called like the electoral college. Like, are we on campus, you know, playing hacky sack or something, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, people have reached out to me and had conversations with me. Um, I personally wrote in Evan McMullen. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that there was a, a little hope there that he would get some electoral college votes. And he was actually winning Utah for a two-week period of time. So Yeah, he did great in Utah. He is one of the few conservatives that continues to speak out against Donald Trump. Um, right. Uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think they're... Why do you think he is one of a, a small, uh, small group of people that have taken that role? Right. Well, you know, the way government works, you know, even working in the legislature here in Alaska and different, and I've worked in D.C. and different things. I mean, there's X amount of jobs, right? If you work in politics, you work at the leisure of whoever the governor is or whoever the legislator is or, or whoever the president is. And so... If you work in politics and you need a job right now, it's probably pretty hard to speak badly about the president. And so I think, um, like, for instance, with me here in Juneau, uh, I I have a flexible work, and so I don't always need a job. So I'm pretty, well, anyone that knows me, I'm pretty free to say whatever I want about things. But if I was the sole provider of my family and I needed to make sure that I had a job with this governor, then I wouldn't be able to speak critically of him. And I think it's the same thing a lot with the people that are working and living in D.C. right now. If you're the provider for your family, your kids have braces, you know, you need to to play in the game. You've got to be able to participate. And so if you speak critically of him and I mean, and President-elect Trump has been very clear. You can read any of his books. You could talk with him, I'm sure. If you hit me, I hit you back twice as hard. And so in that kind of a climate, there's no way that you would ever be critical if you were hoping to have any type of government employment. Because I think that he definitely prizes loyalty and he does not think that people speaking critically of him is loyal. You, you sound like you're not going to vote for him. Is that a safe assessment or do you feel like you're still right? making up that decision? Um, so I can, I'll talk you through yeah. where I'm at on that. Let so, me so here's my concerns. My concern is right now, I think Alaska's in a really tough place. I think it really is. I think people that are familiar with the numbers see it coming, but I think the average Alaskan is going to be shocked how deep and how hard those cuts are going to come. So my hope is, you know, my concern, and, and I think maybe you've seen that in my writing and stuff, the thing I focus on most is families. I think that if we can get kids a good start in life, that that makes the future a better place. And so I think the best thing that we can do for children is to give their parents a job. And it's funny, I was in a meeting where people were talking about you know, well, our biggest concern is the environment. And, but then after that, they were talking about how can we start feeding these children in Juneau that don't have food. And I thought, you know, what would help them a couple 10,000, you know, jobs that made 100,000 a year on the North Slope. I mean, this is just literally the thing of the working poor. I mean, you need to have jobs. And I think everything gets worse when mom and dad don't have a job. When there's that stress, it manifests in very unhealthy ways. We know we have domestic violence in Alaska, alcoholism, sexual abuse, physical abuse. All those things go up in a bad economy. And I fear we're already at the highest rates of those things. What happens when Alaska's economy tanks? 
Right. Where are people going to find solace? Where are they going to release stress? If their kids are saying, hey, what's for dinner? And you don't have money to buy dinner, that's stressful. And that stress, like I said, can manifest in very unhealthy ways. So, I mean, I'm hoping because Trump really cares about his personal brand and part of his brand is his quote unquote financial acumen. So I'm hoping that he'll help Alaska. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that he will at least do something so that we can get some kind of a development. The Chukchi Sea, the Beaufort, I think that those are important areas of development. Like I said, I really think, you know, when people look at a map and you look at the places that we're trying to develop oil, they're little pinpricks on the state of Alaska, but they could change people's lives in really meaningful ways. But you've talked about his integrity. Like, don't you worry that, like, maybe some of the things that he offers aren't really that tangible or real? Do you, I mean, like... I, my understanding of, of the situation is that if the Electoral College doesn't support Trump, the most likely scenario is that the House of Representatives will get to choose the president. And the House of Representatives will choose probably some other strong Republican leader. Right. And, and you know, that's the hope. But I've and so I get phone calls all the time from uh, constitutional scholars in D.C. And, and different groups. And it really the most likely scenario is either we vote for Trump or we vote for Clinton. Those are really the two choices that we have right now. And that's pretty much the way it plays out. And so, you know, we hope with the 12th Amendment, you know, that it would go to the House of Representatives and who would they pick and how would that work? I've been on the phone with 80 different people that have 80 different answers to that question. And I also think if you flip the Electoral College, I think you really do pull at the fabric of America. Like, let's just be honest. I mean, it's the nuclear option. But you talked about this being the purpose of the Electoral College. And if you don't use it for its purpose, why should it right. exist? And I 100% agree with that. Like, I do think that there are times that we'll do that, like that we pull the nuclear option. And if I had an option where I saw someone that I thought this person is way better, I would do it. I have no problems with that. Like I said, I'm sort of a free person. And if I saw a better option, like, let's let's nuke them. Let's do it. But I think to really pull at the fabric of America, because it would, it would just make everyone feel like, does my vote even count? I mean, most people didn't even know who the Electoral College was until a couple months ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. Maybe they're hearing about it this week. You know, they're surprised. They're like, I didn't vote for Jacqueline Tupou. I have no idea who she is. You know, when was that on the ballot? Mm -hmm. Anyways, and so you really are pulling at the fabric of America. People really... I. I think people that have studied and are really poli-sci people understand that the, the power is with the states and that we're a republic, but for the average person, and we hear, and it's one of you know the bell tolls of America is that it's democracy. And so when you let people know it's not really democracy, it's really a representative republic and that there's different layers, I think it does pull at the fabric in America. And like I said, if I saw a palatable option, then I would take that. I have no problem doing that. I have no problem taking the flack. Like if there's something that I could do as a person to change the history, the course of the future of America and the free world for the, at least the next eight years, I would do it. Like yeah. I have no problems doing that. I think that. you're in that position. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Like right? you're, you're, you're saying that it's a choice between Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I really don't think that that's what the Electoral College faces. Right. I feel like the Electoral College is facing a, a choice of do we do we elect the the person who won the most electoral votes or do we kick it over to the House of Representatives? Right. I mean, that seems the most likely scenario to me. I don't think that Hillary Clinton's going to get a bunch of Republican electors voting for her. It's it's pretty up in the air. And like I said, I talk to, you know, eight to ten people a day that will tell me eight to ten different things. I've talked to some people that are uh, affiliated with legal representation for the United States House. And so... You know, like I said, everyone, it seems to me from what I'm consulted, and like I said, it's different every hour based on who I'm talking to. There's a group of Hamilton electors. Um, people have been great. You know, I've got so many attorneys that have called me and said, you know, because in Alaska, we are a bound state. And so, you what know. What does that mean, we are a bound state? Does so, that mean you have a legal obligation to vote for? Well, that's an interesting question. And yeah. eight lawyers a day will tell me eight different things on that. And so... <laughs> And I have no problem with that. You know, 
I have no problem with if there's legal consequences for me. Like, that doesn't bother me. I have kids. I have an extended family. I have a great daycare situation. If I end up in the jail, <laughs> they'll be well provided for. I, right? I just can't even imagine people going to jail for, right. for voting their conscience. Right. I th- I, and I think and everyone a- says that you won't. And, you know, constitutionally that that's what it's there for. And like I said, you know, attorneys reassure me day and day. But at the end of the day, I mean, there are things on the books that could make it that you could get up to a year of jail time. And, and I'm okay with that. Like I said, I am okay if there's something that I can sacrifice to make the world a better place. I mean, literally, we know that America leads the world. So it's the leader of pretty much planet Earth. You know, mm. I mean, there's a great case to be made for that. And so if there's something that I could personally do that would do it, and even if I had consequences, I'd be willing to do it. But like I said, I just don't see palatable choices. Also, like I said, with the last economy, that really factors into my choices. If we could get our economy going, I think that that's really a solution for Alaska. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that and i really feel like if if secretary clinton was president i feel like it would really cut down she has said that she'll continue the environmental legacy of obama and i think that's just the nail in the coffin for alaska i just hold that as a dear belief and so you know voting for trump how do i feel about that like does it give me a little bit of an icky feeling inside i was hoping that there would be options and that i would be able to exercise those options at this point but i think we've sort of ran out of options and so when I look at Alaska, and like I said, we can frame this in different ways, because like I said, eight to 10 lawyers call me a day with different arguments. But if the if the choice is clear, and if it's Secretary Clinton or President Trump, I'm hoping that a high tide floats all boats and that somehow President Trump will impact the Alaska economy in good ways. And I know for sure with the President Clinton, it, if you cut down on oil production in Alaska, that's our lifeblood and we're dead. So you feel like a vote for anyone else, like if you voted for Mitt Romney, that would right. be a vote for Clinton somehow? I do think that. And like I said, people have sent me, I could flow charts and all kinds of yeah. things where your vote leads back and that it leads to Secretary Clinton well, being I mean, in office. Your vote is what it is, right? It's not like they write in Clinton for you if you vote for right. someone else, right? Right. But let's say... How does that help Clinton? Because so there's many electors that have already expressed that they're thinking about flipping or, quote unquote, being a faithless elector. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a numbers game. So it's whoever comes to you that day, they can say, I've got X amount of votes for this. And so right now, the people that are talking to me and like I said, you're only as good as your intel say that if. If a couple more people flip, that Secretary Clinton has it. But 270 is the halfway point, right? right? That's the big number. So it doesn't matter who you vote for if you don't vote for her. It depends how many people are flipping, though. It, well, it no, but I mean, I mean, I know your, what you're saying. Your Basic math, you don't get to like, two seventy. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like she right. just can't get to two seventy if she doesn't get right. a, enough people to flip for her. And so, if you don't flip for her, then you're not helping her. Like there's no. It doesn't. It's not like there's. Uh, it's not like the person with the most votes gets it. It's the person that reaches two seventy that has a right. majority gets it. And if there is no majority, it, it goes, goes to the house where right. the house is going to look at what happened. And so, right. but the house is not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Well, so so the counsel that I'm receiving is that there are scenarios where it goes to the House because she won the popular vote and because of, you know, you never know you what happens. You think the Republican House of Representatives will vote for Hillary Clinton for president? I think that there are scenarios where that can end up happening. Like... Like I said, people will keep sending me flow charts. Like, like I've, I've been studying this. You don't think this. that's just to disrupt your your chances of de- derailing Trump presidency? Right. And like I said, I, I was I started like my journey. Yeah. I started with you. Like I was in here. I was like, she either gets two seventy or she doesn't. We kick it to the house. There's a lot of great people. I'm a Marco Rubio person myself. Like I said, I, I work for Mitt Romney, and I think that he's great. John Huntsman, John Kasich. Kasich was in D.C. when I was out there working for the CRNC and the Leadership Institute. I loved what he did while he was in D.C. Uh, my kinfolk, my dad's originally from Ohio, which is where you have kinfolk, right? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like I think Ohio is like the poster for like an economy that was in the toilet. And he literally reached down, down, down deep and pulled it out. And I mean, so I think that there's a lot of great Republicans out there that I would I would love to be in that spot. The counsel that I'm currently receiving is that me voting otherwise is not helping tell, their Tell me case. about where that comes from. Like, what is the counsel that you trust? Like, who right? are you, like, what organization, what person, who is, who right. do you trust in giving so, you counsel? And those are things where, like, 
I'm hesitant to share those things, you know, because I appreciate people giving me frank and honest advice. Yeah. And so I wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to fed it? <laughs> well, I, I think that like the important thing, like for me, like I said, I like getting good advice, good intel. And I think the the climate in D.C. is such right now where people are scared about employment. And so I think. Uh, oh, you're worried for for them. Right. Yeah. I, I think that you're not going to get good intel from people that are concerned about their employment future. Mm -hmm. If you're throwing their name out there and they're planning on trying to get a job in this administration, I think that would be a unkind. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I wouldn't I, be I a can, good friend no, if I, I was I doing that. those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but just suffice to say that, the, you know, people that are legal, you know, I guess counsel, my question is more of like, are you are there organizations that are approaching you or are there individuals that are approaching you like that you're that you trust that are giving you advice that you're taking so all of the above okay so um and like i said this has just been a unique time where people are concerned and people are involved and i love it i love like that part of democracy that people feel like you can weigh in and you know that's one of the things i love working in politics in alaska like it's just so small right like yeah. You could literally follow bills by like whose roommates during session or whatever, right? But uh, but I think I mean that's one of the interesting things though is that you know people want to be heard and so there's groups coming together. There's a group of Hamilton electors, like I said, there's um, right. some constitutional lawyers that have came together and made a trust fund or not a trust fund, a, a nonprofit actually, um, and they're out of Colorado and they've formed a nonprofit specifically to pay people's legal fees and different things. Uh, to protect them from. Right. And yeah. so, like I said, I mean, totally different groups. Like, And some groups are because they're pro-Clinton groups and some people are just concerned about religious liberty. I mean, so it's sort of across the board. I think there's a multiple people yeah. that are mobilized because you There's scary concerns. Yeah, you talked about those Hamilton electors, and you talked about Federalist Papers, uh, number sixty-eight, where he wrote about the purpose of the Electoral College, and he and you know the 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 reason it exists and and the time it should be used. Um, if this is not that time, what do you think? What scenario would make it that time? Right, and I think I think now, if there was a good option, it would be the time. Like, for sure. Like, I mean, if we're checking off criteria, like, scary First Amendment concerns, check. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. we we are really at that place. But like I said, if our two options are Secretary Clinton and President-elect Trump, I feel like President-elect Trump is our only hope for Alaska. So it's really like a, it's a tough call. Honestly, it's a very tough call. Like, it's not something that I'm, like, lightly deciding or... You know, like I said, you know, if anyone out there is listening as a good game plan, like call me up, like let's run some numbers, <laughs> let's see where we're at. I mean, I'm, but I just, like I said, you've got about a week, right? Is this this happens on the nineteenth? Yeah. So, so it's uh, next Monday. Um, if people are interested, then they can come participate. Like I said, it's going to be, uh, it's a brief event, but it definitely it's part of the history books. And yeah. So so if you had to guess. How many electoral votes do you think Donald Trump will get in the end? Gosh, like right, I said, right I, now I he's see got, different numbers every he day. He has three hundred six on paper, right? right? So, like, how many do you think he'll he'll lose between now and and Monday? It's like I said, it's hard to know. Like, what's he going to say between now and Monday? I mean, you just never know with that guy. Like I said, I think after um, after the recording came out with him and Billy Bush talking, yeah. where he specifically talked about sexually abusing women, I think if the vote would have been held right then, I think he would have lost. Absolutely. And so, but he's so good at just recycling the news cycle. So it's on to something new. It's on to something new. And so it's hard to know. So, I mean, honestly, like, what's he going to do between now and then? Who knows, you know? And and I think picking Steve Banyan is concerning. It's it's concerning to everyone and it, it should be like that's these are people that have views that are very concerning and i think the more concerning thing is is they're actually really competent and capable and good at what they do and isn't i mean that's like you know the scary thing there and so i think that there's right you want your you want people that are awful to be bumbling idiots right yeah, yeah. exactly right like they're following and they don't know what's going on and <laughs> And, you but know, when they're incredibly effective, you're like, oh, man, I think he's showing that he is actually finding people that are very good at what they do. Could well, we talk about he's whether also or not finding people that are adversarial? Well, that's what I was like... going to say. Like, are we going to are they people that we would choose or that have, you know, dubious moral background or, you know, have extremist positions? But he's actually picking some pretty competent people, which, like I said, 
could be even more scary. Well, yeah. I mean, the comp- they're competent people who have uh, antagonistic relationships with the departments they're being put in front of. Definitely. So- people think it's very... Uh, reassuring that he's not taking his salary but he doesn't need it because he can parlay you know the presidency you can parlay that into billions of dollars really if you played your cards right right well, he already is. <laughs> I, mean, I mean he's getting people to stay at his places uh, he's, oh 100 like, every event's at a trump hotel you know here's a trump hotel for you here's the trump government's you. paying for space in this building right it is yeah. i mean like you know he's double triple quadruple you know 100 times dipping and so i mean but it's funny and you know one of the things that i always found really odd is people said well he's you know the champion of the working man like this is the man that literally poops in a gold toilet like he has yeah. no idea what living paycheck to paycheck is like like he could literally just donate his silverware and feed hundreds of thousands of people probably so this is interesting because you've you're basically saying that you're you you are going to vote to support him because of jobs right and that you're going to look the other way on his like moral failings because well, you think that he'll create jobs right. which will help other people's moral failings. Right. Well, and I think for me and I think and I haven't tried I haven't gone into this, you know, we haven't really discussed this but like every concern I have with Trump, I feel like I double down with with Hillary Rodden Clinton. So if if those are my two options, like do I think it's weird the way that people have bad information about her suddenly commit suicide in unexplainable ways? Like, of course, you know what I mean? I think that there's lots of concerns. And in my view, and like I said, I know people have different views, but in my view, I feel like Senator Clinton, or we'll say Secretary Clinton, has an equal amount of moral feelings. Yeah, I think it's so And I know some people that... don't feel that way, but I feel like yeah. morally those two are on the same ground. So at that point, then I have to move to a new criteria because I feel like they're both disingenuous. They're both self-serving. If you look through the Clinton Foundation and all the things that they're doing with overseas transaction is just the same as some of the things that Trump is doing. So I feel like, like I said, people have mysteriously, quote unquote, committed suicide in unexplainable ways, fell off buildings. You know, I mean, we know there's accounts of her firing people in the I mean, AG's office them, right? in Arkansas. Like that's. I'm saying that I think there's shady things have happened. We know for sure that she had people that um, accused her husband of sexual abuse. She fired them, and she's quote unquote, you know, a champion of victims. And and so for me, I feel like those two are like both horrible moral people like they you know the morals are just lacking with both of them so, so that's why i kick it to a new criteria yeah, i know so if you have two moral people then yeah. i think you have a question there like what's the moral right sure, thing to do sure sure and i know we've been i i don't really want to talk about clinton right like the and I, i've tried to avoid it too the, but i'm just saying thing, that's why for me i but, don't take but that the, criteria but we have to talk about her a little bit because you've said that the choice is between donald trump and hillary clinton and i i need you to walk me through again how you get to that Right. How do you get to that place? How do you think that you are either voting for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton when they're when you can really vote for any human being that you want? Right. You, you mentioned that you might vote for me. Yeah. Right. So, Pat so race for president. How do eh? I how do I get you to vote for me? Like I said, and I I can only go on the intel that I'm getting. And the intel that I'm getting is that if nobody gets to 270, we're going to have we're going to have fights in the courts. We're going to have, you know, I mean, obviously, like, unprecedented levels of riots. I mean, like, once you start shredding the fiber <laughs> and the fabric of our country, I mean, you really are. And so, like I said, I feel like it's a it's a nuclear option. And unless there's a clear way for me to say, okay, my, you know, I, I like to play chess, right? Like, I like to see you in the future. So, so if you can give me a clear path where I vote for someone other than these two people mm-hmm. and that person for sure becomes president, then you're giving me some certainty. Right. So but you if don't, you're you saying don't tear vote. the fabric of America, do the nuclear option, and I don't know where that leads, right. I don't feel comfortable with that. So so if the House of Representatives said, we will vote for for this candidate if you guys don't reach 270 on either side, then you might be and willing to do that? And you show me some numbers yeah. with, like I said, no one wants to put their names down. And you show me numbers where we don't just, people don't just decide and flip. And so we end up with Hillary Clinton because you have enough people flipping that she gets over the 270 mark. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, there's so many moving parts in this. But you've also got legislation ongoing with recounts. And but you're deciding to flip has nothing to do with anyone else deciding to flip, does it? 
that's a great question. That's a great question. And that's why I just want to know where does my vote lead? Like, I don't want to just, like I said, do the nuclear option and then where are we? Right. I need to know where I'm going with my vote. And so... It needs to have a strategic result. You can't yes. you can't make a strategic play without seeing the strate- strategic end right. of that. Right. And we were planning, you know, like I said, I was hoping that Evan McMullen would do well and that he'd get some electoral votes so that he'd be more on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think that there was a lot of things, obviously, that I advocated for and trying to do along the way. But right now, where we're at, it seems to me like we've got two choices. And unless we can figure out a specific strategy to get around those two choices, then I have to make my peace with between those two choices, what will I be doing? And like I said, I, I think morally that they're both on the same ground in my book. And so I've got to say, okay, well, what's my next criteria? Well, what's going to be best for families and for Alaskans? And so, like... Like I said, it's tough. I wish that we weren't in this spot. I, I'm sure a lot of people are. I'm sure a lot of people are flabbergasted that we are in the spot. I I was. I, I literally was like, are we being punked? Like, is this, <laughs> is this some kind of hoax? And, you know, there's some um, some electoral college members in California, including Nancy Pelosi's daughter, that have asked for an intelligent briefing on what yeah, happened what with Russian interference. Well, I mean, obviously, it's sort of a publicity thing because they're obviously not going to give civilians classified information about an ongoing federal investigation. So, I mean, their whole point is, like, obviously, we feel like this is shady. Let's bring attention to this issue, which, I mean, that's a good move on their part. But as far as, like, are they going to get our, you know, hacky sack playing college together and give us some sort of intelligence briefing that we have no clearance for? Obviously not. Do you you (laughs) think that there's information that could come out that would change your mind? And like I said, I'm hoping like I'm maybe like something will happen. Like uh, I'll say my prayers and you say your prayers, Pat, and we'll see what happens in the next week. But like I said, you know, I've got to do what's right for Alaska. And I do feel a duty to the party and to the people and to the people that worked hard and supported him. And, um, you know, like there's been some awkward things where I have friends that, you know, were Trump supporters and, you know, like back when you didn't have to be right. Like back when there was actually options right. and I, and I, you know, just scratched my head at it and thought, you know, you know, I just didn't. That's the horse you're going to pick. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, really, with 14 options. And, you know, obviously, like, I really feel like, um, and and Rince Priebus, you know, I think he's a good person. And I think that he tried hard, but I think it was a failing on his part. Because um, anytime you have 15 people running for something, anyone can get, like, 8% of the vote and win, right? Like, I mean, it's your job after you've had a couple national televised debates, right? So everyone can get a cabinet position. People know your name. You can get a book deal. People know you. As chairman of the party, you've got to clear out the stage. I mean, if you're having an A B debate and a B debate, you have way too many people running for president. And I understand that people have important issues and that they want to get out there. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not altruistic and then they're not trying to do what's best for the country. But as chairman of the party, it's your job to clear the field. Because when you bifurcate the field so many times, you get what you get. Right. And it's not necessarily representative of anything except for who was angry enough to come out that day. Uh, You said that you had received so many letters that your mailbox broke and fell on the ground and that not one of them. It just hangs. It doesn't it didn't (laughs) fall to the ground. It just hangs in a really sad, pathetic kind of way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your mailbox. Yeah. Um, uh, And and probably countless emails and Facebook contacts and um and not one of them was encouraging you to vote for Trump. What do you say to those people? Um, because you're saying to me yeah. that you're going to vote for him. What, right. what do you want to say to them? Right. And I appreciate like people and, and I don't want people to think that I've disregarded what they said. And like I said, I've literally read all of them. I think I have like 38 letters still in my car to read that I was reading them. Um, and I just, I think that it's important that people are engaged. I think that people have legitimate concerns and I want them to continue to hold president Trump accountable like let us be ever vigilant like those concerns that you have today will still be there when he gets uh, after the inauguration on january 20th those will still be legitimate concerns so let's hold them accountable and so like i said i'm really concerned about passing religious liberty legislation here in alaska this year i think that we have to put 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 things in place so that 
whether you're Muslim or Jewish or Mormon or, you know, any kind of religion that you have a place that you can feel safe and feel comfortable, that your name's not going to be on a watch list, that you're not going to have your rights somehow tied to your religion. I think that's the first and most important thing that we can do. Like I said, I also think we just have to continue speaking critically of him. And that's scary. I'm sure for some people that want to have press credentials, want to be able to be in presidential briefings. But I think that freedom of the press and freedom of religion are the, are the if you don't have freedom of thought, everything's gone. If we can't think and act on those things, then everything's gone. So we have to pass religious liberty legislation and we have to continue as members of the press as yourself, you know, hold them accountable. And all those people that are writing me letters continue to do so, continue to be involved. Maybe this is the thing that motivates them to run for a school board, you know, run for assembly. Maybe you want to be the next mayor of Juneau. Maybe you want to participate in the legislature. Like, you know, and I've got letters, you know, from all across the country. But if those people that have concerns continue to be involved, then I think that this will be a good outcome if we can mobilize people that have concerns. And so, I mean, we've got to prioritize our time that we have that that feeling of civic responsibility. And I think people don't have that anymore. You know, like, oh, I didn't vote or oh, I don't really care. Or, I'm, I'm busy. And, and I get that you're busy. But guess what? One day your way of life will change because you weren't involved. Yeah, so what do you think there? I don't know. I guess if I was in the same position being asked the same responsibility of either representing all the voters or all the people who cast the vote and put me in this place and my own sort of personal convictions and thoughts, I guess, and asked me to judge the two while also receiving incredible pressure from 600 people and a lot of legal advice that has maybe vested interests that they're not telling you, I think I might be in the same spot where, you know... I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable making a decision. I think, I mean, I think I would in, in maybe this case, but if, you know, remove sort of the person from it and kind of put all these sort of circumstances in there, I could really understand a lot of the the conflict. And it's interesting to hear her be pretty upfront about the the sort of the contradictory forces going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that. I, that. She was really candid about the conflict she's facing, about her her concerns and about really hearing the concerns of, of people around her. But I just didn't feel like she's doing anything with those concerns. I feel like it. I feel like to me, this interview just uh, cemented it cemented in my in my heart the desire to like dismantle the electoral college. I mean, I just I just see it serving zero purpose right now. Yeah, I mean, if if you're looking at it and you you feel like she said, you know, there's some real concern about religious protections under under this new president and all and freedom of the freedom of speech, freedom of press. You know, these are these are tenets of our democracy. You know, these are what we built our country upon. And she even says that they're possibly under attack. So I guess if there's no, you know, if, you know, this is the situation that seems perfect for the Electoral College, I guess. Yeah. And she understands a lot of these perspectives that I think a lot of like white males probably don't. I mean, she's, she's a woman. She has uh, a, a huge immigrant family. She's connected to a mm-hmm. lot of different people that are that are likely to be disenfranchised by a President Trump. And it's um, it's wild to see her absorb all of that and tiptoe right up to the edge of doing something about it and really feel like she's capable of doing something about it and then not do anything. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes to goes to show, though, how how um how strong of an argument the economic one is yeah i think you know what she's going through right now is probably exactly what 306 i think uh, you know republican electors are going through right now and so you know i think she's she's sincerely trying to make the best decision that she can and but so on that though i think i think you know when you got 600 people contacting you and then however many sort of legal quote unquote legal scholars who have you know all sorts of undisclosed partisan connections you know it really goes i think it's a good example of just how effective you know just sowing a little bit of distrust and 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 misunderstanding can be in shaping in these decisions well that's the thing is so strategically if she votes for trump she knows what the result will be if she votes mm-hmm. for anyone aside from Trump, she's saying she doesn't know, and that's and that's scary because you're making a strategic play that's all chance. You're you're saying yeah. you can take the thing that you know, or you can roll the dice, and you might get something that you think is even worse. Yeah. So I mean, and even if it's not, and that's, I think that's an accurate 
assessment to a degree. I mean, yeah. I think even if it isn't Trump v. Clinton, it's still Trump v. Question mark. Complete unknown. Yeah. And and who knows who that might be? You know, it could be, you know, John Kasich. What do you What do you want to happen? I you know I think what I would really like is that going into Monday that all the electors know at least with some legal certainty what their vote will mean you know it, you know I, I i think i agree with you that a vote for anybody other than donald trump or hillary clinton doesn't necessarily elect hillary hillary clinton i think i think actually i think really right now i personally believe right now it's a decision between trump and another republican of of some sort yeah and so um so i think that's where we're at but i just i I would I would wish that all the electors knew that with 100% certainty going in and I wish that they were getting fair and honest, you know, information. I wish, you know, I almost wish that like Hamilton could come over and just talk to every single elector and they would know exactly from him how it would work out. And but you know, barring that, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to try and go and uh and observe. I I really don't uh I don't know what I want after this interview. Um I mean, I know that I don't want Donald Trump uh, to be president of the United States. Um, and so I think that I would basically take the question mark of, you know, like if she I, I would encourage her to vote against Donald Trump by picking any other name in the hat and then see what the House of Representatives does with that. And yeah, I guess the only see the only downside I see of that is that they do pick Trump and then you get just a more angry version of Trump out of the whole thing. I mean, he's already furious. Right? Yeah, but I mean, imagine if the, if the Electoral College didn't elect him and then it went to the House of Representatives and then they did elect him. Then you'd have like super angry Trump like times three. <laughs> what do you think the Electoral College should exist? Because after conducting this interview, I don't think it should at all. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I, if, if you're not going to use it, then it should should be a popular vote, I think. I mean, I think either either you need to fully believe in the purpose of it or it shouldn't be there at all. I mean, I think all all it does right now, I mean, if, if people are just going to vote however they were bound, all it does right now is empower rural America, I guess, to, to have a greater say than people who live in cities. You know, I think that's... That's pretty much where where it is right now. It's, I mean, I think it's a form of gerrymandering. Yeah, and so it allows you know the consolidation, not consolidation, but it allows a concentration of power away from people in cities. You know, I think I've seen some charts that talk about, um, you know, just how many votes each person's vote counts depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. You know, when translated through the electoral college, and it's really hard to look at that and say that it's fair. Do you want to do you, do you want to answer the question that I asked her? Do you want to guess how many electoral votes Donald Trump will get in the end? No, it's going to probably 304. 304. Okay, I'm going to go with 299. On our show we are, we like to end with um kind of something that that is like positive about Alaska. Give me something right? about Alaska I'll that you t- like. Right. Well, I'll tell you something awesome that's happening this Friday uh, at the Mormon Church. We're having a Christmas party, and um, I'm part of the Interfaith Council, and so we look for volunteer opportunities. And so um, at our Christmas dinner on Friday, there will be Santa Claus that has presents for good boys and girls. But we're also collecting um, coats, gently used and new coats for the glory hole, and also toiletries and. Um, hats and socks and gloves, which are super important for those at Front Street Clinic. And you know, uh, everyone likes to adopt a family for Christmas and stuff, but I think the Front Street Clinic is really somewhere where the rubber meets the road, and that's where people have needs. So uh, toiletries are things that people need, and hats and gloves and socks. So I'm hoping everyone will come and see Santa and come for the awesome music. And like I said, there'll be a full ham dinner with delicious sides and things, but um, feel free to come. And I think that's the great thing about Juno and about Alaska is that I'm sure people will show up and have those donations because it's all about having a good time, but it's also about helping others. And so feel free to come with your gently used old coats in the closet. So I'm sure there's people out in the streets here in Juneau that could use those. Great. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you.
All right. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more of our shows, you can find us at helloalaska.pizza. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Alaska Robotics. And I'm on Twitter at FDNM Politics. All right. Goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye. If you don't have freedom of thought, everything's gone. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. Everything's gone.